Hi, I'm Philip Fierlinger, and you're listening to Alchemy, a podcast where I meet with New Zealand creatives to learn about how they combine design, tech, and business to create exceptional products and user experiences. This podcast is created in collaboration with Massey University, College of Creative Arts. When I was head of design at Zero, we hired a lot of Massey design students, and they were easily some of the most talented designers I've ever had the pleasure of working with. So this podcast was created first and foremost for design students to hear from talented people across the industry and learn how they approach problems, generate ideas, and produce amazing work. You'll be introduced to the people shaping our industry and discover their insights, their struggles, their breakthroughs with a uniquely New Zealand perspective. If you want to stay up to date with our episodes, read more about our guests, see photos of my guests and their work, just go to alchemypodcasts.com. That's alchemypodcasts with an S at the end, dot com. We're also on Twitter and Instagram at alchemypodcasts. In today's episode, I talk with Chris Hay, the founder of Locales, which is in the business of place-based storytelling. You'll learn what place-based storytelling means and why it's maybe one of the most interesting and fun design jobs you never knew existed. After talking with Chris, I've decided I want his job. I'm very jealous of the work he gets to do. As you'll hear, Chris combines a lot of different media, design disciplines, and technologies, from traditional graphic design in the form of signage, logos, and brochures, to the UX design of large-scale holographic maps. There's also a lot of architectural and industrial design involved as well, from creating custom hardware controllers for interactive kiosks to the fit-out of interior spaces. And of course, there's plenty of content creation in the form of audio, video, and written storytelling. We also get into his early career and hear about the unexpected journey that led him in this direction. So let's meet Chris at his studio and hear about some of his projects and what makes Locals so special. So I set up Locals to do specifically place-based storytelling. So that's whatever it takes, really, to communicate uh, the story of a place. And so whether that be digital, physical, guides, whatever whatever it is. So the, the, the process is to... Uh, my role is I spend a lot of time at the place, whether that be like an historic site or a town. Uh, in the case of this example, I'm talking about um, Taraifiri, um, the in Gisborne around a river. It's all about what happened around a river. Uh, interviewing people, spending a lot of time there, walking it, getting as many perspectives as I can on what the story of that place is, and then developing a concept or an idea to engage a visitor. Right. who visits there. And again, defining the audience what a visitor means is also another part of the process. Yeah. It's the same as doing personas for web design, etc. Uh, and that can span generally from, say, a travel tourism audience, but also educational groups as well, and also locals, which is a very different audience for you know, someone who visits every day versus someone who visits on a trip. So that, that are the things that come into, um, into consideration. So my role is to, obviously I work with my team to come up with the idea and that's uh, usually in the form of a concept document, mm. uh, which visually describes what the solution will be. Uh, and for example, we'll go through and I'll pull out key storylines and themes, uh, again, audiences, who it's for. It's pretty sort of nice and high level. Uh, we do a lot of cultural. So, I mean, at this stage, you're doing a hell of a lot of work. Yeah. You know, this document is pretty it's, elaborate it, and detailed. It, and absolutely. And, this, and the other reason for that is this document generally is what gets the money. Yeah. So if you're going to do a multi-million dollar project, this is what gets trucked around in front of fundraisers, 
ministers, you know, community groups, you know, yeah. trusts say, hey, do you want to be part of this? This has to yeah. sell. So this isn't idea. a high-level pitch. This is a very detailed yeah, because plan. Of, yeah, really. because the high-level pitch is more... Yeah, what goes alongside this is a costing. Right. So you've got to actually figure out what you're going to build and cost yeah. it. Because when you ask someone for money, they're going to go, well, how much does that cost? And you have to know quite precisely. It can't be vague. And so at this point, are you getting paid to do this? Or yes. Is, yeah, right. Yeah, okay. yeah. This is sort of my... Personally, this is sort of my bread, but this is what I do. Right. And I do this all over the country, all over Australia. Uh, I come in, I specialise, I spend time in place, interview and come up with ideas specific to a place, which is one of the challenges... It's not a cookie-cutter approach. There's no sort of product I can just bring and say, yeah, you should do this. It's like, mm. actually, it's a unique visitor experience, often a, a tourism product. Mm. So it's got to be differentiated from other tourism products by its nature. It has to be original, which is one of the big challenges, right? It's like, it's fantastic, but you're never just saying, you're never just bringing along a, an old idea and supplanting it somewhere else. But I guess based on your clients and, the, you know, that it yeah. is a tourism project yeah so your your objective and your metric is how many tourists interact engage is it similar you know that level of engagement and interaction or what what are the the the, the the, the metrics are really interesting in this space um because they're often cultural products right um which means the benefit is often an intangible one for the local community as well Mm. this one we're working with four different iwi to tell their story around the Ironically, the landing site of James Cook. This is where James Cook arrived in 1769. Right. Also, 800 years prior to that, so did some other people. <laughs> <laughs> and that's, this is that story, right? right? They want to take the emphasis off James Cook. They, right. they navigated a, right. a, a distance using technology. So there's kind of competing stories, or everyone wants to tell that same story? No, there are definitely... Uh, this is... <laughs> in all the projects, this um, this weighting of what gets emphasis mm, in the storytelling mm, mm. is one of the biggest factors that you're navigating your way through. And there's obviously a lot of stakeholders in a project like this. Mm. There are people who pay for it. In this case, you've got to trust in the count, the council, or the client here. They want to they want to tell the story. They want to bring it out. But the key, you know, story providers are the iwi, and they're probably not as sort of concerned with some of the tourism benefits as the council are. So you just you're trying to navigate and work yeah. with different stakeholders to get the right solutions so that everybody gets their needs met. Mm. But generally, metrics... If I was judged on metrics, it would be more marketing-based, right? So this is... We're building infrastructure. There's also got to be a significant investment into marketing this destination. So it's a bit like, if you don't invest... That's more where the yeah. metrics, I think, yeah. come in. Yeah. It was this a success to get people to know about it, to get them to visit. Right. My metric is... Did people enjoy this? Did people yeah. learn something right. here? Do they look at this place in a different way? Do they tell other people about it mm. in a new light? That's more what we get right. judged on because we, we don't have, as part of this, we do do marketing, but that's separate. And so there would be a wider project yes. going around getting built, like you said, infrastructure. And So how much are you involved in that infrastructure we, building? We, we build everything. So, right. we, for example, this one here, I'll just go through. This is, this is the area we're sort of talking about here, this sort of call this river area. Mm-hmm. These are all the key sites. Um, to facilitate a tourism experience, and this is like a couple of square kilometres tops. We're talking the top of this hill. We're talking, this is where you can just make out there, I didn't see that number eight, mm. two lines of rocks there. That's a natural harbour. That's where James Cook 
came in with this more the endeavor out here and came in through here. Right. That is also where the Walker 800 years ago came in. Wow. So there's some really, really there is significant scientific evidence of that. Yeah, well, that, that's, well, it's, that, that's, or, that's yes. oral history right, and right, stories. Right. All the, the rocks all along here are really significant. They're all mooring place for Walker. This was like an international highway wow. of the Pacific. It was really well known. If you think about it, when you're coming from the Pacific down here, they would voyage back from here, back up to the Pacific, and back again. Right. A lot was going on here. And the, the four iwi here developed and grew all around this area, and they're still there. If you, it's a beautiful big harbour. Look at the, it's, um, it's, it's sheltered. Yeah. Look at that. Okay, and there's just, there's a river, so you've got fresh water. The really, one of the fascinating things we found, because we're working with navigators as part of this project as well, who have built and sailed canoes from Tahiti mm. and Rarotonga to here. And when they talk about their trip, they follow sea life. And right. what happens out of these rivers, the kanai and the, and the, the tuna, the eels, they migrate themselves up to the Pacific, and then they come back. And what follows them are sharks and dolphins and right. whales. So that's a, a, there's a highway right. of sea life right. that wow. leads into here, and they follow them. So that things like that are, yeah. are, are astonishing, and that's what a lot of this project is about, right. describing this ancient... Was that something that the team, the tourism bureau that approached you, that hired you, did they already know that, or that's something that you uncovered as you were doing They, they knew that the council, they knew, there were two, two, two guys I worked with, two navigators, uh, they're called um, Teatu and Matahi, and they, uh, they knew of them. And, um, but part of my role, it's a bit like documentary interviewer, I spent a lot of time with them mm. and talked to them and asked them. And same with the I spent a lot of time. And they have, obviously have the stories, people are aware that these stories are there, it's, this is just like a documentary. It takes time to build the confidence and trust where someone's actually going to tell you anything. Right. And it just takes time. And then they have to believe that you're going to treat those stories respectfully. You're not going to come up with some stupid marketing technique. But, you know, you're just actually going to yep. do them justice. Yep. So same as putting it on film. And so my work is a lot like uh, a documentary director right. in that sense. But the manifestation of it is multimedia. Right. And so in this case, it's, I'll show you... We came up with the idea of, so in terms of media, to get this across, we are going to build, here's like a system that we've got. And we do use this system a fair bit because it just makes sense. There's an online home experience, trip planning. Mm. There's a mobile experience you can download and take with you as, you as you walk around or drive around. There's big, robust view shaft signage. Maps use a lot of maps. I mean, obviously, it's place-based. Bird's eye view, it just works wonders. We use it a lot. Trail markers that you can follow. Every marker has a different topic. You, you listen to different stories and interviews at each marker. Uh, and then there's the marketing aspect to it to make people aware of it. So it's a pretty straightforward system. And, and the, 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 the logic is here to create a visitor experience. So that you encounter one of these big, large maps, uh, and you see the trail, and you get a snapshot of the environment. The key thing here we're building, like this one here, is of the Pacific. This is a map of, from Tahiti to New Zealand. So we reverse the emphasis to be ocean-centric, not land-centric. Mm, yep. And so it's actually, every step along the way here with the phone, you listen to these navigators tell you what happened, where they encountered albatross, where they encountered whale, where the storms hit. And so you get a bit of a, a journey, them telling you a story along a map. And this, is, this has become a really lovely way of telling stories with a view shaft behind that relates to the map and is as well. It, is it, I mean, I'm sure it's yeah. different for every project, but, for instance, would it be acted in its a portrayal of Captain, you know, Cook or any uh, no, reenactment the, you, kind you of... You could go that way. I've never done... No, have I? Yeah, I have done that to degree with the First World War Project. We've done reenactments uh, of soldiers. This one is... Stri because there are two guys who've done it, mm. we just ask them. 
Right. And, and they said, tell us about right. being in a storm. Yeah, 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 yeah. Or tell us about what birds did you follow and how do you navigate at night? And they just tell us the story. So right. it's just them talking. Uh, and so, and the same with the iwi, all through at different stages along the river, these walks that don't look like this at all, the design now. But this, another challenge when you're doing a concept, you've got to kind of design something, but not. Mm. Leave it open ended enough. To enough to be, yeah, and the number of people say, oh, we don't want seagulls and brooms. Okay, don't. It's fine. <laughs> They're not going to be there. But, um, and so each one of these markers has a different approach. Some of them are, are about um, kaitiaki, so like the, the stingrays and the, and the sharks that they, um, they treat as their kaitiaki, their guardian sort of spirits and, and animals. And mm-hmm. so they, they, we interview them and the Marae talking about that, four different iwi. Mm-hmm. Another one is on the arrival of James Cook. You know, they talk about from their perspective what happened, mm. which is a fascinating story because they're going, you know, you know you've experienced, you go for a pōhiri and someone you know, come out and they'll do the wero and they'll, you know, they'll do a haka and their big thing is that um, he didn't really understand what that was. Mm. So he shot them. <laughs> this is it, right? It's the like, British way. Yeah, and that perspective, right? That's their perspective. Yeah. You don't necessarily read that in the history book. Yeah. You read that they shot someone. Right, and from their perspective, that there was a threat, they perceived a threat, and well, no, the, from their perspective, they were welcoming him. No, no, no. Oh, from, from, from the Cook's British perspective, yeah. perspective. Yeah, you always right. hear from. Look the at British that guy turning up with a spear, spinning around. He looks, yeah. he looks big. Yeah, yeah, shoot him. <laughs> and that's um. So things like that come out. They're they're great. It's like really probably the first time a lot of these have been expressed, and on the place where it happened. Right. So you're standing there listening to. That's the key to this place-based yeah, yeah, storytelling. Yeah. You hear the story exactly right. where it happened. You're looking at the rock. Well, they blew the rock up, actually, where that particular encounter took place. Right. But, um, yeah, and the mobile stuff, the digital stuff, we did a lot of game-based stuff, a lot of trip planning, documentary, a lot of animation, whatever it takes, really, just to engage people, to engage kids. Um, yeah, increasingly, we're doing a lot more mobile work. Uh, and you'll know from, you know, that's been a passion of mine for a long time, mm. but finally the technology is at a place where the file sizes can be, right. you know, the speed, all the things you want to do on a phone, you well, can start is, to do. I mean, museums yeah. used to, but yeah. you, you had to rent this device that was really wonky and clumsy yeah, yeah, and yeah, yeah, yeah. didn't work a lot of the times, and now everyone has their own device, and yeah. Yeah. it's fairly reliable that they'll have a device that is fairly modern, yeah. and yeah. so that, that's working out? Yeah, we don't do very complicated interfaces. We mm. do, that's part of the trick, I think, right? So, unlike, but it is an app, so you, the idea is you download an app. We've done, we've explored both. Mm. Ranghao Heritage Park, the one that was nominated for a Webby uh, last year, that one was a very simple um, uh, mobile web experience because mm. there's good coverage there. Yeah, that's always part of the deal, right? Yeah. If there's yeah. what sort of coverage there is, uh, and that worked. But the Natapawai, for example, this is a a World War One app we did through Belgium, France, Turkey, and the UK. Um, it's big. There's a lot of there's a lot of content. Uh, the Western Front one was 600 megabytes, uh, but we just rationalised that to create a great user experience. Mm. If it's self-contained, there's enough. There's free Wi-Fi everywhere. Yeah, exactly. In France, yeah. and 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 it's like it's so easy and it's fast. Yeah. But you can, if you discover this out in the middle of nowhere, there are places that they don't have coverage, and so you're stuck. Right. So we just rationalised, and a, a self-contained app is a better user experience, right. and that has proved to be as well. Right. And it just frees you up with the type of content. We know we've got movies, interviews, animations. You can do whatever you like in there. And so it is a mixture of physical installation yeah. in a lot of cases. In mo- would you say in most cases? Yes, because you can't. From my perspective, anyway, you're still accounting for that massive part of the population who might not want to necessarily bring their phone out 
on a holiday heritage experience. You know, they just might want yeah. to enjoy the moment. Yeah. And every now and then glance at a sign and say, and that's fine. And if you're forcing people just to use the phone, I think you, you miss it. And I think that'll always be the case. Yeah. 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 And, and, and do you even try to do that with, with the phone experience? I would expect that you'd want to engage them in the actual location and be rather than looking at their screen yeah, totally. while they're, you know, they could be doing that at home. They don't need to be in the place. So that's one of the key. Yeah, you're exactly on the money there. So Natapawai, we are doing that again with Gisborne. Natapawai is the project we did, you know, several years ago, uh, 2015, 14, 15. And what was, just give me a look. So the, the Natapawai is the name, which means um, Pathway of Ancestors, New Zealand First World War Trails. So that's, um, again, a similar kind of a, um, this is the concept I did for the Western Front. There's two mm-hmm. parts, there's Gallipoli and the Western Front. Uh, the Western Front was where most of the, all took place, but Gallipoli, everybody knows Gallipoli. So again, we did a similar, um, similar sort of a high-level. Con- I spent a lot of time over there um, mm. with historians. I mean, I think four times to the Western Front, just travelling with historians, just listening, and again trying to organise a, a trail. These are all the battle sites of that New Zealanders were involved in on the Western Front in the First World War. So quite spread over a couple of countries, three countries actually, if you count the hospitals, um, or four countries with Turkey. Um, but so the solution here was to, again, we worked out a system. So we've got local museums that are close to all of these things. We've got cemeteries that people visit as well. It's one of the, a lot of the main reasons people go there. There's sort of bike trails. There's all sorts of other things that go on around a battle site experience. And it's also, and one of my learnings from both Tourism New Zealand work and Tourism Australia was, you know, you know it's only a pretty hardcore group of people who go to a country for one thing. Mm. Like uh, in Tourism Australia, it was, you know, someone, they, people go there for diving. But usually there's a partner who maybe wants to do something else. And so when, even when you're selling a holiday idea to a partner, you're negotiating. There's got to mm. be more to mm. do. Mm. So a lot of this was thinking about, okay, what are the What's key nearby? notes? Here? What else is there? Are there breweries in there? Are there great breweries yeah. and things like that? There's also <laughs> yeah. other thing. What can you build into a holiday, not just a, let's go see what Well, it also enriches place. the story, I would think. That yeah, 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 yeah. And it's just a, it's this blend of, of heritage and tourism. Um, so again, we just worked out a system and just worked out all the different types of media that might be suitable to convey this story. Okay, that people can dive in. No one's just going to do, in the perfect world, someone would start at the beginning, spend two weeks, and do the whole trial. No one will ever do that. Yeah. They will, so you have to design it for we'll it. Design it so you come in at one point, yeah. and it's got to cover, yeah. you know, the, here's the big picture. Again, you know, right. you might have seen it before, but hey, just in case you haven't, here yeah. it is. Here's some things you can do. If you've got an hour, it's here. If you've got two hours, do this. Got a week? So you just always take into account that travel planning dynamic. Yeah. Um, An adaptive, yeah, adaptive yeah. design. So, I mean, it's very, very much system design, adaptive design, yeah. and it's physical design, it's digital design, yeah. Yeah. print, maybe yeah. even in some cases. A lot of print. We do, because, right. I mean, you can't get away from it. Brochures. Right. Yeah. They're easy. They're, people love them. People collect them. And again, on the brochure, you can put instructions of how to download the app. You know, that's one of the main reasons yeah. to go to the brochure. It's like, here. Download the app. So, but in the same sense, the brochure can almost work as a guide by itself. Yeah. If you just had the brochure, right. you'd still find your way around. Right. You know, using coordinates, we give you yeah, a little bit of a story. You've got enough to just use the yeah. brochure if you don't want to have to use your phone. Yeah. So it's just taking that. We also built little exhibitions within um, museums. So um, we know that people visit museums in yeah. this area, and so we negotiated with them to put a micro installation of a New Zealand theme. And we also negotiated that they had free Wi-Fi. Right. And we could put our brushes into the installation that said download the app. So there are our go-to points. We know people visit and we go, yeah. 
And we designed so this entry point, you're looking for these entry points, how to get people engaged how to get, and yeah, bring yeah. them through. Yeah, and all the time. And a key part of that was the branding, right? That, um, the firm, the, yeah. the design. Yeah. The whole rationale, rationale behind that was to, it had to be so iconically Kiwi yeah. that if you glanced at that in a museum, you know, near a cemetery, you went, oh, New Zealand. It register and resonate Got, got it, yeah, instantly. Yeah. And that's why it had to be a firm. Yeah. There was no other... Yeah icon that we could have used and that was that, the process to go through that was interesting there's only so many things you can normally do with a fern right so right. but it, yeah, it worked in the end it was great so and that's, that's and so yeah. how do you go from these amazing concepts yeah. to executing and delivering it prototyping it yeah. so you're, you're talking about something across multiple countries yeah. uh, how do you prototype something like that so what we did as part of this project um Developing the concept, I also created uh, a prototype to take with me. I, I knew kind of that there was going to be... Well, I had to test the idea it was going to be a, an app would work. Uh, so we made a really quick one, and I just took it around with me on an iPad. And everyone we talked to, we ran focus groups, and we just said, what kind of content are you looking for? Do you likely to visit cemeteries or museums? And we just, uh, uh, what kind of storytelling are you likely to hear? A lot of things, you know, same as it is really rapid. I Originally, I was going to do a lot of cemetery-based storytelling, mm. standing at graves, mm. listening to stories. Yeah. Just went out the door testing. Right. No one was interested. Right. I was like, okay. Thank God you did the testing. Yeah, you know, and it's just like, just really, <laughs> so it doesn't have to be much, right? Yeah. Just testing the big ideas and just, and everybody reacts negatively. You just can it. Yeah. We can do other ways. There's other ways of doing this. Yeah. So we are in cemetery sometimes, but we don't really get into the graves. We leave. Right. It's that's an, sacred. And, and yeah, and that's an interesting area that I, I do a lot of battle work. Right. And well, a lot, but enough. Um, yeah, there are. This is places you leave alone. Yeah. yeah and that includes enough. trenches and things. It's just like, actually, technology doesn't play a role there. How about we just leave that? Because it has emotional impact without any. And enhancements. Gen- and generally, yeah. that's why someone's there, right? They're not re- they are, it's really nice for them to understand the context of the battle, the strategy, what went on, hear voices. If you're visiting one of these sites, you're going for an emotional experience. Mm. And you really don't need someone talking in your ear at that yeah. moment. So, yeah. So, and then I guess I wanted to actually touch on that is, you know, how much are you really looking to impart information versus really just getting an, an emotional reaction? I think it's, it's a good question. And it's something... Uh, I'm working on another a Waikato war concept at the moment, and I've done work on the war before. Um, but let's come back to the Gallipoli example. I think it's part of a user journey. Technically, we use user journeys to work out you know, where we're trying to take people cognitively and emotionally. Uh, I just think there's different parts along the way. So, for example, you've got the Gallipoli ex- exhibition here. Uh, you, you've been in there? No, I haven't. Uh, yeah. it's, I, okay. I constantly desperate it's to okay. get it. Yeah. We did a couple of pieces of work in there for Richard Taylor where we, yeah. um, we project down onto three-dimensional maps. Mm. And the idea is to show the big picture of what happened yeah. on Anzac Day and um, Chanak by uh, on August the 10th, New Zealand's big day in Gallipoli. Uh, just using projection, showing movement, mm. showing big, you know, there are the Turks, there are the Kiwis. It's this bird's eye view, the role that those maps play, to go, oh, this is the big, this is how I make sense of the landscape. And getting the context. The context, right? Yeah. And I think there's another layer, mm. which is a bit... So that's the informational... That's the high level, yeah. And, and, and I think the setting, you, really, well, setting you, the stage. Well, if you, and if you ever go to a battle site, whatever, but Gettysburg is a classic, um, and Gettysburg do this as well with their cycle run. Gettysburg's a world leader. Mm. Um, but it's massive, right? And you, it's really difficult to understand it mm, mm. standing there. 
World War One is impossible. <laughs> you just don't understand, right? You can't see anything. There's uh, nowhere to stand. Yeah, and place. Gallipoli yeah. is a cliff. You know, it's yeah. just like really difficult to get the picture. The role of that kind of media is to give that bird's eye view. So you get, when you arrive, you go, right. I, I know where I am now. Get yeah. the big, otherwise, it's almost impossible. Yeah. The next layer is this sort of more tactical ground base. The other thing with battle sites is um, you, it's difficult, but it's, once you know what to look for, you, know, you can see it. And so we met with a battle site historian mm. uh, quite, and travelled. I spent a lot of time mm. in the car with him. And uh, he was fascinating. Like, he would point out and go on the Western Front, on the Somme, for example, and say, look out there, see the power lines? Oh, yeah, yeah. So there's power lines that stretch all the way along the horizon. Yeah, he said, that's because that's, sort of, that's quite high ground and it's dry. That was the German front line. Right. And so you, you, he gives you indicators to understand ground. And same with Gallipoli, you look at, um, he'll point so out... a lot of terrain. It's all terrain-based. And yeah. once you understand the terrain, you know where you are in the context. And it's quite visceral, too, because you, he goes, you see that line there? That's where the Turks will come charging down from. Right. So you imagine that. And yeah. so you do, you go to a bit of a space, and that's quite, gets the heart going, yeah. surrounding behind you are the Aussies, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. and so you, yeah. you, you're there. Yeah. But that's about, and then, then there's the next step. But even that, just, yeah. just that reference, like, it's so great when somebody can point to something yeah. that you can see, yeah. and that is a modern thing, and is a modern reference point, yeah, yeah, yeah. and then all of a sudden put it, take you back 50, 100 years 200, however many, you know, take you back in history, yeah. and you have this perspective that, and that's it's this invisible story right there. Around, yeah, that's yeah. it. And that's the, the good storytelling. And like Chris Pugsley, who narrated our, our, our app, mm. uh, is amazing. Like mm. He's a battle site historian and tour guide. Mm. So he will take you there. Right. And he, he, he can just bring it to life. And that, that's what all takes place in your earbuds, because you don't want to be looking at your phone. You yeah. want to be looking at the horizon, imagining. Yeah, yeah. And so it's an earbud. And we did a lot of work with um, uh, Park Road Post, the sound effects, and they're amazing mm. to the extent they went out to Featherston and were shooting 22s into the valleys to get the right sound effect of Gallipoli, right. like yeah. that level of... Yeah. You know, you, because sound is the, yeah, yeah, the medium yeah. to take yeah. you there. Mm. And then, but then there's the next... You do that, and then, for example, we suggest these walks, like you walk up to Chanak Bayer, which is a couple of hours straight up. It was... You know, there are storytelling points along the way, but in the main, it's about just being there and just giving people the moments to just be there. Mm. And I think that's what you're suggesting. This emotional journey takes place. You almost prep people to have an emotional experience. You don't need all that, but it's. I I personally think it can take you to another level where your imagination can kick into another level. Right. And does it take much, or, or is it really there's just a few key triggers that can take people there and then they fill in the gaps totally and 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 that's what you as long you know you can know where different you know players are in relation to that that's something this is where gunfire was coming i think without that you could be a little lost mm. the complicated battle sites are complicated yeah, yeah. the western front is just paddocks yeah and car parks it's yeah. like it's it's literally impossible unless you know what you're looking at right you don't you know and so do you do any of that where cuz i remember we talked, you, you mentioned earlier that, we, that you were big into mobile, and you and I yeah. talked yeah. earlier in our career about early mobile technology and the possibilities, and one yeah. of them was, I remember we talked about doing exactly what you're doing yeah. in Wanganui that we were going to yeah. do, uh, <laughs> like, uh, basically a ghost trail, so like you, yeah, you, yeah. you know, go to these locations, yeah. but you would hear these stories, but yeah. you'd also see yeah. photographs, so you could actually superimpose, you yeah. can... You know, like so. You said you're in a car park. That's really hard to yeah. 
get the sense of place. I, I agree, and, and this is one of the challenges going forward for us, and it's, it's big on our horizon, and it's a paradox as well, it, uh, an augmented visual experience. Yeah. Uh, and I agree, it's, I think it's, there's nothing that's going to stop that happening, that's just going to happen, mm. that, that's going to be amazing. But at the same time, it's a bit like movie versus book. Do you, are you achieving more doing that or less? Mm. Uh, uh, you know, if you're showing someone, you're filling in all the gaps for them. Yeah. I think the imagination and some of these emotional places mm. in particular become because you fill in the gaps right. yourself. You, 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 you let your imagination yeah. take place. And audio is a great And audio is a way. And I'm limiting the amount as opposed to overdoing. Yeah. But I do. I mean, I can't wait actually for AR to be a more of a robust technology. Have, have you experimented with it? A, a long time ago and it wasn't quite right and we're about to the stage we're about to again I think it's, it's getting there again right. um, and it's just fine. but it is similar you yeah. need the phone like you need it yeah. to be ubiquitous yeah. in order for it to be really something that you can bank on and then that you can rely on as a storytelling and invest in and otherwise ha- and it has to be really accurate yeah. you, if you're going to lay something over the real world and it's jumping around a little bit it's not really that, and that's all that early experiments were like we're going yeah. That's not really a public experience. Yeah. It's got to be rock solid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we're just, and it is coming, it will come, yeah. and it will be great. And then it's finding out what you, what's the best use yeah, of it. Yeah, exactly, right. And, it's and, not just doing, then throwing. So, I mean, this is, yeah. this, what's really interesting about this is that you, you're combining these different ways of telling stories rather than relying on one yeah. gimmick, one technology to you know, carry the, all the weight that it is this really dynamic range of yeah. and again it's kind of the right technique for the right uh, story yeah so absolutely no, you're spot on and that's when you're talking about our challenges that is the challenge getting the right media mix mm. um, so and also but also not making something obsolete you know you these things that this is company's been going ten years, the one before that five years, and there's still things in Tapapa from fifteen years ago. It still has to work. Right. Fifteen years yeah, later. Long shelf life. With no input. Right. You know, these things have to be really robust. Right. Because they're public facing. You know, they have to be prison prison proof. Yeah. <laughs> and this is why finding that line, because you know these technologies exist, you know you want to play with them, but at the same time, you're not doing your client any favours yeah, no. if you give them something that breaks. Yeah. We've all been to these yeah. museum exhibits where it's just you're excited and then all of a sudden you get up to it and it's all busted and you're just like one of the big influences in my life was um, Ken Gorby so he was the first project director of Papa. I don't mm. know if you've met Ken mm. I think he's a great guy and so I had a real big falling out with Ken I mean we headed up to do a project in Omapuri and we're, we're, we're both sitting around the table trying to give them advice on what to know I was with Lumen at the time with you know, Jared and we were we were trying to pitch these you know, big projection table interactives and things up mm. there and he, and he was just shaking his head going no this has got to last a long time mm. we, I think you should come back to a more physical Mm. aspect of this mm. and communicate it you know, physically and I was like what are you talking about young man it's like come on it's digital anyway and so we basically had a big clash and we didn't talk yeah. to each other for years really. okay. and, and then coincidentally we ended up somehow another friend of mine drove us up to another project and we ended up being in the same car for yeah. four hours sitting in the back mm. and I was like oh no I'm Ken Gorby I'm like, the car what are we going to talk about ended up the guy in the front Craig he started the conversation and said oh you two so tell me what's your favourite museum in the world and it turned out we had the same favourite museum. And over a period of four hours, this, it's the Bargello in Florence. It's this beautiful little semi-outdoor museum in an old Florentine jail. It's, it's just a gorgeous, not a digital thing in sight. This is this beautiful space. Right. You just feel right when you're in it. And that was what we got to. The common, it's a great 
physical user experience. You just yeah. enjoy being there. You pick up things as you walk through and you just feel lifted after being in there. We've mm-hmm. both shared that ethic. And so by the end of it, and the end of that trip, <laughs> I'd started looking at everything from a physical perspective and he's into the digital. And so, so we're like, come on. So my, and this is part, was part of the sort of beginning of the end of Lumina in many ways and starting locales. I wanted to branch more into physical. Right. And some of our early works like Timeball Station were just big, beautiful leather, wood and brass physical interactors. We roll right. a big globe around and you just, there's big swinging pendulums and it's just a nice tactile experience. Right. I went yeah. right away from yeah. the digital yeah. just yeah. to play with that. Yeah. And so I think what's happened over the years, over 10 years, is that we're trying to find this blend. Because yeah. I think it's... We were kind of touching on earlier about the prototyping yeah. and like going from that concept stage oh, yeah. to the right. yeah. Yeah. finished product. Yeah. And so... How much experimentation, or is it is it fairly prescribed once you're at that stage where you've delivered the pitch, you know, you've set the expectations, or is there a pretty wide variance from what, you it's, know? Yeah, it is a wide variance, and that's actually, that is the challenge. Like, we, to actually build something, digital is actually much more knowable. Mm. You know, if you've been from web and mobile, there's, yeah. there's a yeah. good process to go through, and you can, there's a few curveballs, but the physical side of things can be tricky like we're building things now the maps we're building it's material the different types of materials that come into play mm. uh, the movement of materials um the models the dioramas but um we built all these little miniature dioramas for um i'll show you for the western front so for example that one there that's like a that's a, and most of new zealand is through the um the wall lived underground that's the safest place to be so this is called yeah. the catacombs and so we just recreate scenes uh, so first of all, we'll do that in paper mache. Mm. Uh, we run it by historians, run it by clients, and then we, we work with mod- different forms of model makers to make that. Mm. Um, that one actually got completely destroyed in shipping on the Eurostar. Oh. And I, I got that phone call, uh, just munted, like nothing left, just right. shattered just inside. Just <laughs> you know, they just threw it on the ground. I was like, oh. Anyway, and, but we found a Belgian model maker. We, he flew in and, just, and it took him seven days and he completely rebuilt it. it, it wow. rebuilt it, even including the spider webs that are in there. Wow. Uh, he remade the spider webs. That's because we work with guys, sort of, a lot of ex-wedded guys in Wellington. Right. I mean, the resources we have here yeah. are amazing. Yeah. Like these guys can make anything. So that's, I guess one of the things is that the confidence in your supplier network you come up with something. How you make it is not a given at all. You've got a prototype, you've got a test, but you just know that there's so many clever people around, you know you can make it, right? and they'll pull it off. Right. And that's a, a nice feeling to have, and this is one of the reasons we base here. Yeah. When we go into the physical realm, this guy, they've been doing this to papas here, uh, you know, wetters here, the supply networks for those places are right. clever, clever people, right. yeah, and yeah, they'll yeah. just pull it off. And um, our tension is more budget, time. <laughs> you can spend a lot of money on those if you want to, but... Um, <laughs> And, um, and these things here, I mean, we tested the scale and the size of these signs. Uh, we built mock-ups um, in the old building, had them upstairs, brought people in. Um, the amount of information, the size of the maps, I mean, these maps... Sort of so that's, yeah, I mean, the interesting thing is you're testing them here locally. Yeah. But they're designed for the context of yep. the location. So d- is that a challenge or not, not as much as you would think? Uh, well, it's, it's more access. I've spent a lot of time there. Like I said, I went back to this particular site four or five times. Mm. I've stood there a lot, photographed a lot, imagined it, you know, moved around. You, you can, same with Gisborne. We're in Gisborne every other week. You yeah. walk there, you just... Yeah, it's just about spending but time I mean, on the ground. But I mean, when you're user testing it... Well, you just have to... That's it. There's no way of really user testing that unless you might... Because you can kind of... You get it a bit wrong. I mean, and part of the, the beauty of this, right, is that it's beautiful 
And if it wasn't that beautiful, then it wouldn't have the same impact. I mean, if you do a mock-up on cardboard, right. I don't know if you'd get... Right, right. This is the thing with the, some of the yeah, physical things, yeah, yeah. right? The digital things, what we did with digital testing for this in Gallipoli is we got like a um, 360 camera uh, of Gallipoli mm. on the beach, different locations, and then we gave people trial versions of our app. And we took them into a room and gave them earbuds, and then um, we moved around ah, right. the, the view. And so we said, look to the left, and we just moved the camera around to the left and do what they're looking and, and see the see the memorial on the skyline. Now follow that line, and we're just we allowed the that's yeah. that's a really clever way to do prototyping up for another country. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 To yeah. take them there as, as close, close as you, you can. can. Yeah, yeah. And we were testing there a good proxy, so it's a yeah, good yeah. So can can you see that far, and yeah. can you does the length of the story make? We shortened a lot of those stories up. Yeah. Like we had a seven after the testing. Yeah, we had like yeah. a seven eight minute story. It just got too much. People yeah. start switching off towards yeah. the end. Most of our rule of thumb was under five. Right, and even then. Yeah, I was going to say two three minutes seems like. But this is the challenge, right? Two three minutes. Yeah, I can't actually say much. And, yeah, and you just you, get and started, you've tra- and you've travelled all the way to Gallipoli. So it's like, come on. <laughs> so this is the other thing, right? So we're doing this with our, uh, a lot of our stuff. And you know, you you talk about duration that people you have these various durations for people's time expected time in a place. So. For instance, with an audio narration, yeah. like yeah. here's the two minute version, here's the ten minute version. To- did, did you do any of that? Totally. And that was the two personas, really just two persona types for this product right. for the Western Front. People with uh, a lot of time and people with not much time. Right. And really, it came down to that. Yeah. And it was how much time they were prepared to spend on a battle site. Mm-hmm. And most people, again, if it's part of another trip, they might want to go to the Somme or go to Passchendaele. And what that means for them is they want to stand at the memorial or, or a key significant site and get the big picture. Yeah. So we designed these 10 stops on the Western Front, 10 places to stand and get a big picture. You look at the right, the skyline, etc. And that's, we give like a five minute, quite a big overview of the whole thing. And so here's an example here. This is the Somme version. And you might stand at um, the New Zealand Memorial. This is the sort of key view shaft. You even see this, the power lines are sketched in there somewhere. See that? Yeah. Anyway, um, that's where you get the big overview of the Somme for New Zealand. And it works. Now, if you've got another couple of hours, uh, you do the trail. You know, there's six stops, and you can go to these different perspectives here. Right. Go to Factory Corner, you know, whatever, to Fleur and the tanks. Uh, that was the first place, um, time that the, the tanks were used in the First World War. And you can spend your time navigating around the, the whole battlefield. But if you just have time to go to the, the overview, just get yeah. the overview, and then go yeah. to the next overview. But the, I don't know if you've seen this one before. Uh, at the background, it's all this little... There's a whole sort of documentary goes on in the back here. There's infographics uh, about tanks, for example. There's little personal stories uh, where you do give insights into different perspectives. Uh, there's just articles and interviews. There's even snapshots of soldiers who are there. It's, um, it's like creating a little magazine behind the scenes yeah, yeah, as yeah. well as the, the battle site tour. And do you, do you measure the metrics on the usage of this? Interesting. We haven't. Um, that's the client may well. Right. Yeah, the client have control of this now. This was a few years ago, and so they work with the, um, if they want to do updates, they just do it through a, um, through a tech team, and they just so they could well be tracking those metrics. Right. The only metrics I had were, were some of the initial downloads when we did the Gallipoli one, and they just went through the roof right. um, because it was just front and center in the media. Right. But um, but it's it's definitely possible to do it. Yeah. Tricky though. Again, it comes comes down to marketing. Well, I guess it, I mean from my perspective, yeah. as or I guess from I would think from your perspective, you'd yeah. be curious about what people actually interact with and for the next project this got a lot of yeah. uh, attention this got nobody visited this somehow for 
either the content wasn't interesting or it was yeah. buried and they couldn't find it. That's 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 interesting, um, and I would find that interesting. I, I, all I've heard is some. Um, I mean, anecdotally, it's extremely popular. Right. I would expect that the overviews would get a lot more attention than the trail. Yeah. A lot of yeah. what comes into a project like this, though, a lot, in the perfect world, would be completely user centric, mm. and we're based that on a trip. But it's actually. The, the users aren't actually driving it in many cases. There's a lot of other agendas. Yeah. And, for example, to leave out any one of those, and I would have probably reduced that down by two or three, yeah. would have been a crime to my client. They yeah. had to be included. Yeah. Because the different clients we had were the New Zealand Defence Force, the Ministry of Culture and Heritage, the MFAT, they paid for this. Yeah. They will have requirements. Yeah. There's a reason they're doing and this. And their agendas. And it's a legacy project. And yeah. so if the user does or doesn't listen to all the content, in some ways that's a... Right, it's not. That's it's not. It was not the priority. Right, right. It's there, and yeah. this is legacy. It's going to be here for a long time. Someone will one day. Right. And if you don't do it, then you've left it out. And so this right. isn't. This is what we go through in all the projects. Right. There's another reason. Yeah. To do this, yeah. other than the user just experience. Just even just to be comprehensive to yes. make sure that you, that we have covered yeah. the ground, right. but always right. in the sense that you could go overboard. I mean, you could make that an encyclopedia, and of course, no one. Then you should just publish a book. Yeah. yeah, no one will read it. And <laughs> so that's the challenge, right? You're trying to, and all the projects, the Gisborne project is just like that as well. I mean, you listen to some of these amazing Iwi stories. If we could include all of them, we would be making the encyclopedia of th- that Iwi, but we're right. not. We are still creating a tourism product. So it's just finding that balance. So yeah. Yeah. I'm curious about the business itself. Mm. And um, so, how big is the team? Uh, we've got eight of us here. Right. Um, and it's a sh- ton of work for eight people you know to do this yeah i mean yeah. Do you, so you farm out a lot of it and no we no not really, really? It's, it's um the specifics it's changed over the years i for this project here for for natapawai the back end was all uh we worked with a tech partner right touch tech they do the back end mm-hmm. we do the design and work with them and now we've got full-time coder uh, pablo and we bring in others if we need them uh it's more the ups and the swings of you know what's being made in the studio. And phys- the, no, the physical design product, like the actual hardware. How, do you have a team here doing that? We do. We do spatial design. Yeah. Right. So we do the three D drawings. Right. We, we do level, and then we go to fabricators. Right. So again, that's the network of suppliers. So the model yeah. makers will sketch. We'll help them paper mache whatever, and then they will make it. Right. Like and you're, you are directing them through yeah, all yeah, of that. Yeah, yeah. 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 And same with even the signage, like the big courtine steel, and even the, the print projects. I mean. Yeah, but Wellington's got great suppliers. But that is still damn impressive with a, you know, that's, that's a the, the, lean, mean team. Yeah, and you're just working, con- and, the key, and the key to the team is actually uh, multiple skills. Right. All-rounders rather than... Yeah, you've totally, yeah. I mean, you, I think you'd just, you just die death if you didn't. You know, yeah. we've got a great designer who's a fantastic illustrator. Right. Uh, and that's you know, and so you know, at the moment he's just he's just doing some amazing illustrative work, right? And then other days he'll be doing design. Uh, Leah, a design director, he's just a fantastic. We're a designer, expert on maps and three D topography, right. and just you know, there, there are just skills yeah. that everybody brings to the table here. And so, how do you find? Um, that's hard. Talent like that. Yeah, it's hard. I mean, you just you're fussy. Um, we're really lucky to find Lee. Um, Cloudy had known him from another company, and he just was looking for a new opportunity. Um, and but but and but you are finding these people in New Zealand in Wellington. Yeah, is that right? Or do you have to? No, it's that, search that, that, long that, that, in Wellington. Yeah, right? and um, and Pablo sort of ex-trade me, and and the, the, this, you know you got we got great people. Right. But um, yeah, I remember from so the talent pool is here. Yeah, and what about the grads? Do you hire grads? 
not, I haven't hired a grad straight. I've hired juniors, definitely, yep. with a little bit of experience. Mm. And we've done a bit of um, internship work. Uh, and we'll do that a lot. Uh, just you know, crank through some work, and if it's not, you know, it's quite right. handy to have someone in here it's just helping out, get a bit of work experience. Um, I'd consider grads, because mm. um, we've got a senior team here, right. so they can look after them. Yeah, and that's the key. It's been more about building up your senior team so you can handle a grad. If you, yeah. if you don't have it, or if you've got no. an intermediate, you can't yeah. handle it. Yeah. That's that's. It's just yeah. a scale and size thing. Sure. Yeah, yeah, but um. And with the interns, how, how does that? Do they usually approach you, or you go out looking for them? We would probably. It's usually the friends of you know, friends of friends, family friends right. that we know. You know, it's yeah. a young kid wants to come and spend a few weeks. Can you help out? And we'll just yeah. bring them in for a while and give them a certain task. And right. uh, yeah, um, so that's how it's. Worked. We haven't explored it too much because again, we do have to stay lean yeah. and mean. Yeah. And the more people you bring in, the more management's required. Yeah. And we, you know, Claudia yeah. runs the studio, and and Grace is our studio um, sort of manager. There's only so much you can. Mm. You, you, you manage so yeah so but, in terms of uh, projects getting projects in what stage are you at is it you're overwhelmed with you know offers or is it kind of feast and famine and you have to go pitching and do, do, you, do you ever do that do you ever go pitching projects yeah, yeah totally well I go um, this, well there's two sides to the business journey that follow each other so you've got the pr- design and production side which we're halfway through the big Gisman job it's a year's work mm. the first world war project was two years work and um, is that pretty much you dominate that that's your singular project? No, prob- you you'd probably have two in the studio at once, right. two or three. You can push right. two or three with that amount. Right. Um, wow. And that's um, and my role is uh, doing concepts. I'm working on four concepts mm. at the moment. Generally, that'll funnel into a production piece. Right. Um, so, so that'd be what, like, you do four concept pitches... And that'll end up being one project that you'll land, like four to one kind of ratio? Ah, it's interesting. I, I, I don't really know. Again, they will need funding, so the funding takes a while. Right. Um, but we do other things, other streams as well. Like we'll, like I said, we will do marketing work. We'll do other sort of, sort of more service-based work. Sometimes we get approached to do just digital interactives for a museum, and we'll throw that in. But um, So it's pretty robust. It's, um, it has been so far. Touch wood, it's like um, we've had some big projects. Uh, a part, the challenge, though, with the big projects, like, the First World War One was a big legacy project. Two years, hyper competitive to win that. Mm. Like everyone wanted that project, yeah. and so. And when you yeah. say everyone, is that? I mean, that's an international project, but I guess it's it's based out of New Zealand. It's New Zealand. Um, we were up against a lot of international companies, right? right. And there are a lot of their arguments were that they were based in on the location. We had a right. lot of London-based companies, right? Uh, up right. Against, they said they yeah. could make it cheaper, right? Because they're there, which they couldn't really. Know yeah, the but yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, but uh, so no, yeah, definitely. There, I think there were up to around 60, 60 different. People were so that's quite a that prestigious. Pitch. That was a massive win. That yeah. was massive for yeah. us. Yeah, yeah. And I'd already done the concept. And has it has it produced generated more work? You think or it's hard to know. I mean, we're, we're, we, I mean, we're in the mix. We compete with everyone else mm. when it comes to a new big project. But uh, it enabled us. The main thing for us it enabled us to show the quality of what we've made. Right. Yeah. And you don't have to go much further than saying, oh, we did this. Do right. I have a look at it? And they go, yeah, we want something like that. Yeah. Right. And so I think that's often what clients are looking for. Just that credibility. Because they don't know. You remember when you're selecting someone, so it's like when yeah. you're going at someone to build a website, whatever. Yeah. You don't know if they're going to do yeah. a good job. Yeah. You want that level of creative confidence, right? Yeah. And projects like that are in your portfolio, and they just enable you to, yeah. To, so in New Zealand, are, are there many competitors? Are there many people in this space? It's not a lot. Um, around four or five. Right. Across the country, or is it pretty across much? the country? No, it's, uh, yeah, if you're in Auckland, um, a few here, uh, but you can't differentiate now with Australia. 
there's maybe three big companies in Australia that compete on the New Zealand projects as well, right. uh, and we compete over there as well. So um, it's uh, yeah, we're, we're unique in that we design and deliver across the media spectrum. A lot of them will be more concept based and outsource the other other work, or they'll be more semi architectural. You know, so every, all the different com- competition, my competition have different strengths, mm. and that's often. Right. I think what right. you're, when you you know going for a project, it's what which one of those strengths suits right. the client need. Financially speaking, the economics of it. So these are presumably large scale budgets, but they're also extraordinarily expensive. I would expect to to actually produce. So are you able to make money off of this, or is it? Yeah, it's that's yep. Yeah. I mean, it, and. That's in terms of the challenges, and, and it's probably not too much different to like like a student in terms of a project, right? You've got you've got a constraint. That in our case, it's fixed price and fixed time. We don't ever go over. We'll always do a fixed price pitch, and it's right. got to be done by a deadline. Right. That constrains everything. Right. Every, so you miss that. You miss that time. By implication, you miss that budget, and right. then you're in trouble. But with the budget, then you have to really, really hold the client to the fire in terms of the changes and all kinds of their yeah. feedback and they yeah. drag things out. How is that? How does that go with these types of clients? That's the game, really. Right. And that's what Claudia does. Like, she's an expert Client at management. Client kind of. management. And the client, um, it's not so artificial a lot of the time with the client because the client definitely work with you. Mm. They understand that. Yeah. They, set the, you know, they set the budget. They want it to happen. On, right. So they will, it's very rare you're going to get someone push you back too hard. You know, come on, we're in this together. Let's, yeah. We need to both solve this. Right, and that's the way and you're you're always kind of in a squeeze, up, presumably in terms of deadlines. Yeah, and and, and 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 we just you know we push them to make sure they can they turn up to meetings right. on time and sign off. Same thing. As and how much how much are you actually training them in terms of a how to do a project like this? How how to what expectations or are they generally pretty familiar and established in terms of what they? It varies. Like so, that um, a lot of them. Have never done anything like this before, right. and so they look for your guidance. Mm. But you know, it's a it's a robust process. It's pretty, you know, we work, you know, to a, it's a it's a waterfall approach with very defined outputs at each step along the way, mm-hmm. and they know if we don't meet that deadline for that document sign off, we can't go to the next phase. And that's you know, it doesn't take much to get your head around that, and they buy into that. Really but that's quickly. a big part of your work is actually establishing those, the, yeah. the, those constraints and those expectations and. It's all about expectation setting. Yeah, and, and even still, to a lot of if they haven't done it before, it's quite. I, I, I've seen the look on their faces. It's quite a complicated. Um, yeah, I've got some uh, like schematic, you know, solution definition documents. Mm. You know, you know, yeah, there's a lot of eyes glazing over because of the detail, <laughs> right? It's just like, and you go, this is really important that you look at all of this, but it's hard, right? You know, and so because um, they have no point of reference, and no, yeah, and the, it is incredibly detailed. You know, all the different screens, all the different interactions, these micro interactions within screens—they're all mm. specified because we have to brief the coders, right? And so they've got to—we've got to lock them off. And yeah, I think that's often that, that there's an element of trust that they, a lot of clients will go, "Okay, yeah, we trust you," and you go, "Oh, I wish you wouldn't, because you really need to look at this yeah. in detail." But and the flip side is like, let's say you work with someone like Tapapa, where you've got in-house experts, right? Then they will. They will actually want to do a lot of it themselves. Right. You know, they will actually be a lot, a lot more involved. Right. And so you just adjust your process to suit your and client. So, how much creative freedom? Again, does that vary widely, or do you feel? Do you kind of insist on having a high degree of creative freedom? Absolutely. That, that is the, that's why these things win 
right. global awards. And is that contractually? Or is just... Uh, that's, it's always so spoke. far been an un- understated thing. I haven't right. really encountered um, a client that's challenged that. Right. But that comes down to... Uh, we, know, we definitely know that. I, mean, I, I would never walk into a presentation at any level mm. throughout the project assuming that what I'm about to present is going to get signed off. I mean, that's what... I, I am the client in my own head right. all the time, yeah. and I will—I could think of nothing worse than a client rejecting our ideas, and so we think really carefully, and we really rework and rehash, and we look at it from a lot of perspectives and provide alternatives that can go either way. So we really are thinking about how the client is going right. to solve that problem. Yeah. Um, so I don't, but I'd never be so arrogant as to assume that you know I've completely created freedom here. They—they right. they right. sign the check. Yeah, so yeah. they said no. They say no. Yeah, I mean, they, ultimately, that's what it comes down to. Yeah. If they make yeah. me go and redo it, yeah. I have to redo it. Right. So. And have there have have you encountered any kind of difficult projects that really just kind of went sideways or that were a struggle? To a degree, I could talk about one, but I'm not going to. Often, you know, like good design and good problem solving overrides that. Mm. If you can show the logic of why you were doing what mm. you're doing and you can back it up with some testing and some results, yeah. then that is going to beat that, that maybe a, a critique. Right. And I think that's how we approach it. We go, oh, I see what you're saying. Here, we're going to show you how that might not be a good way forward. Right. And often logic will win. Right. They're pretty rare. Well, that's that's, that's yeah. impressive. That... <laughs> <laughs> like I say, though, look at our stuff and you look at it, though, it's not that complicated. Uh, and that's why I try to keep the interfaces really simple. Right. Yeah. It's not, it's because it's, you know, it's public facing. Yeah. It is more uh, the content and the quality of mm. the storytelling, the, con- the quality of the communication. And you've seen, like, with Natapawai, something that's it's beautiful, mm. it's really well done. You can't argue with beautiful, functional design. And I think that's why we just, that's all we strive for all the time. Our maps are the best maps you can make. Right. You know, our graphics and our animations and our illustrations are the best you could make. Right. So I don't. So good they can't ignore it. Yeah, and you go, come on, you, yeah. and you just, and that's generally what happens. And I think that comes down to staff, and it comes down to, you know, your craft ethic, yeah. and nothing goes out of here that you're not. There's no one else who could make anything better, and as long yeah. as you feel that way when you go mm-hmm. into a client presentation, you're in a good place. Right. Yeah. Do you find yourself pushing boundaries with each project? Absolutely. Is it creative boundaries, technical boundaries? I think it's more like saying at the beginning that. Um, fit for place the uniqueness right to come up with something that isn't cookie cutter um I mean there are so many ways of telling stories uh like the work we're doing with Kisbin it's very video centric Mm. not audio uh and we chose to do that because basically filming amateurs with Natapawai we use Chris Pugsley who's basically he's a professional speaker Mm. and we brought voiceover artists and we're dealing with pros with audio and and if you can nail it in an earbud with audio you get if you're just talk, getting someone off the street, which is effectively we're talking with Iwi, they just live there. We're, getting, yeah. we're asking them, yeah. them to tell their stories. Yeah. We needed the video to support the talking. Yeah. I think it would have been quite hard to just be So we had to go into whole film production mode. Right. Now, that was a challenge. It's good. Cloudy's background is film. And so and she brought in a team. She knew a great director, um, uh, Robin Waters from, and his crew from Auckland. And they just nailed it. They're just it's the cinematography is just divine. Right. Everything was just smashed. It's beautiful. And so, so that for you was a fairly new for me it was right territory yeah. to yeah. I mean, yeah. I'd, I'd I'd made a documentary years ago, but you know, pretty amateur in the scheme of things. Uh, you know, turning up to Italy with a camera. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but no, we did. We now we did. We did a lot of refilming. Nothing at the scale. This was slick. Right. 
and you see, you see the, some of the footage I sh- could show you. It's just beautiful, and the stories are beautiful. It's just come. It's like a. It is a documentary for the phone, but it could easily also be a documentary for the screen. Right. It's just, and that was for me was, I was very nervous. Yeah, yeah. On, on that shoot, um, and and the, we're halfway through the edit now. Right. Uh, and also, I haven't done that on a phone. I mean, I've, I've done, for screen, and I've done audio for the phone. I haven't done a film for the phone, mm. so there's an element of risk. Yeah. That's what gets me the new and, stuff. Yeah. yeah. And so, so it's not. I mean, I guess there's there's. The new form, new way of telling a story that you haven't told before, so you haven't done video, so that's an yeah. interesting. Yeah. But also, you know, it sounds like you're looking for original ways to tell a yeah. story. So it's it's not necessarily the medium that, that is yeah. the it is how to actually get a story across. We we know mediums like films, yeah. which is a linear narrative, yeah. and yeah. Uh, books, and then there's interactive, there's apps. Yeah. But there's not there's not a whole lot of storytelling apps. There's you know yeah, yeah, there's yeah. YouTube and yeah, 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 which again is just pure linear. Yeah, yeah. Um, but you are doing one of the most non-linear forms of storytelling yeah. that I can think of. Yeah. So you know that is a whole different type of art form. Yeah. How do you push the boundaries on that as well? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, I feel every time we do a project, we are pushing the boundaries mm-hmm. on what we're doing mm-hmm. uh, and. Like this one here, for example, as well as the video interviews with Iwi, there's also um, animated graphic novels included in that for kids as well. Um, there's like just all this sort of additional information. We're trying to pack as much as we can for different audiences. But yeah, I don't know where it'll go next. Uh, it's a cha- it's a really interesting question, especially with the phone. I, I, we're pushing the phone as much as we can in many ways. Mm. Um, but something I am fascinated with, and I like wherever I go to a new city. I'll, I'll see what they've got. You know, I'm constantly keeping across the different award entries and things. Mm. And I like, um, I did one little immersive one where it's a multi-person experience. Mm. Like you'll walk through a city through London and you'll split up as a couple mm. and walk down different streets and you meet at certain places and you get different stories and you get a right. different part of the story. I like that idea. I really like the idea of like treating the travel duo dynamic as an experience, not just the single person earbud because right. yeah, most yeah people travel in couples or families yeah, yeah. and just working with that a bit more so the multiple devices and then that enables more storytelling and meaning making after yeah what did you hear i heard something different oh, really you know and so i i I'm a, i think that's an interesting place i'd like to that explore. was actually something i wanted to ask you about was was the post experience product or storytelling is the, do do you do much of that that so you know you, you've left the site, but there is still the story continues in some way. We we haven't, and I and I um, the only reason we haven't done that that's always usually part of it, and it kind of ties in with marketing as well. You know, the mm. pre and the post, and yeah. and what the client offers someone on the ground. There might be different places they can go. Um, so we had a lot of that uh, as ideas for the First World War project because there's a lot of push for social integration. Mm. You know, to keep it alive, yeah. Yeah. but we just. The nature of the content suggested otherwise mm. that it was actually probably better to be quite a locked off thing. Right. That having people liking or comment in any way to something that's actually right. felt a bit off. Yeah, hashtagging yeah. First World War doesn't. You know, and so right. sometimes the nature, and same with the EV one, I don't think yeah. it's hard enough to get, you know. Social sharing, I, I guess, yeah. like photography is an interesting one. Yeah. 
Have, have you explored anything? Only we do a little bit. Like we did a marketing strategy for the uh, Rangihawa Heritage Park, that's mm. the, the the Webby one, and so that um, that definitely does do it. But it's more a, as an aside. You know, we do, Instagram we've got lots of different ways of promoting the site, yeah. and we do work in that way with right. clients. Yeah, but I, in many ways, I keep that. I, that that's I, the, a the second separate. stream, right? Yeah. yeah, and I don't know if that's right or wrong. Right. I, and I think there'll be definitely be a project where they're all very tightly integrated. Right. But for me, in the so far, the story visitor experience yeah. component, because it's so obviously directly related to a place and a site and a structure, mm. is one thing. And marketing it and getting people to market themselves and share about it is another. Mm. Now that's just my experience today. I imagine that's going to change uh, depending on the story. Mm. So. I'm open to all sorts of things, and, and, and the team have all got, and Claudia's got great ideas about that, and um, I think I struggle to keep up, but um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, don't we all? <laughs> have you considered productizing anything, any element of you do? So right now it's services, I assume, right? That, yeah. Or do you actually own any of the installations that you do? No, and generally that's, with the, the scale we're working with the type of clients, you, 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 the contract states pretty explicitly every single thing is owned by the client. Right. And because it is their product that they've paid for, and they want to do what they like with it, yeah. and that's fair enough. Yeah. We'll, we'll um, we have systems in house that we can stream, like you know different content management systems that we can use to build apps, mm. things mm. like that. We, so we've got systems. Right. That's more our IP. Yeah. Um, I've looked. I mean, I've always. It's a bit of an anathema for me too. I mean, when I did the Waikato War project and this one, the World War One project, some of the strongest competition we came up against were products. People with app-based storytelling products, right? That they just want to plug the story. So it's a CMS of kinds. Yeah, and it's a, yeah, publishing system. Of some yeah, kind. and and there's a lot of them out there, and they're, and they're saying, "Come on, this is logical. It's cheap, and you're yeah. just plugging in the content." And I, I recoil at that because you're designing an entire experience. Uh, that just to me devalues. Mm. It goes, "Oh yeah, a story is something that is a little box <laughs> that you can pop into something and push play." Right. That is not what a story is. You, you want to create something beautiful that feels the maps are integrated, everything is seamlessly integrated with the travel planning. This is an entire And there's thing a continuity, yeah, a and stream of a stream, thought. Yeah, yeah. And, and I don't have to deal with some sort of shitty UI that you're just plugging this right. thing you call content. I even yeah. hate the word content. I, I, it's not, I think it devalues what's going on. Right. So I just, yeah, content, it's the thing you plug in uh, into, the, into the design. Yeah. And th- this is all driven by story, shapes the design, shapes the story. Yeah. It's this iterative process that goes on in that studio when we're creating things. Yeah. And I think the result is a lovely experience. Right. That might be the death of me, and I don't know, maybe the products will win in the end, but I'll, I'll no, no, fight I to th- the death. I, mean, to, yeah, I think yeah. you're exactly right. The, yeah. the story is really the, the heart of it, yeah. and the story dictates the, 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 the medium. Yeah. And I think that that's the yeah. strength of the work that you do. That, yeah. that I just want to backtrack. How did you yeah. get into this line of work? So when you were a kid, do you, uh, do you see a trajectory from when you were a kid to what you're doing now? I, I do now. Right. In, in, right. But at the time... No, not at all. Would you have imagined you would be doing anything like this? It was quite a different world. I mean, like... The only thing I... I could draw hmm. and I could uh, write. Right. Okay, so I love reading and I love drawing. And those two things I think are quite... When they go together... Yeah. It's, it's imaginative, you know. Right. It's storytelling, and so I, that was always a sort of part of just what I liked to do as a kid. Right. But in terms of professionally, that there weren't really that many opportunities there. Um, no one I knew, none of my classmates. I knew some kids, maybe my brother's age, six years younger, got into TV. Mm. But that was my generation. Just didn't have right. not in Wanganui, early eighties. Right. Just right. 
So my trajectory. So would, did you go to school, university, or I went to. Um, I left school at sixteen. I had to trade, right? So I became a linesman, uh, <laughs> which is what fixing telegraph poles right. and putting phones in houses and, and, and fixing cables and. And was that some? I, I, did you just? Was that just a way to pay the rent, or was it... Yeah, I got kicked out of school. I need some money. Uh, so that was... <laughs> so they were advertising it, so I took it. And I, I had a great time, you know, but I knew it wasn't really me. I wasn't... Uh, and then I got... So that wasn't... You weren't like, okay, I'm just going to be a working-class guy. We were, and I loved it. And all my mates were with all our trades. We played rugby. We had a great time. We just had a great life, you know. Right. And it wasn't until that ended... Um, and how did it end? What did, what oh, did you I actually got. I took voluntary severance. They, the, the New Zealand Post Office became telecom, mm. and just cut a lot of jobs. And, mm. and and a really kind boss just tapped me on the shoulder one day and said, "You know what? This is probably your opportunity." <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't a very good linesman. Right. I fell through quite a few roofs. Um, anyway, so <laughs> probably in everyone's interest, I left. And so, long story short, I took the money. I took a bit of money, and that paid for my um, to go to university. Right. So I did a computer science degree. Oh, wow. And, um, and again, I was kind of... How did you end up, you know, just what? what? It's random. Uh, like, seriously, I didn't even know what I was looking at. I, I went in there and just thought, oh, I should go to university. And I just picked some random course. I changed my course about three or four times. And it worked out in the end, you know. I'm you know, learning the basics of code and stuff on the Macs and things. And it was okay, and I was doing okay at it. And, um, and then me and another mate were the only two who graduated with a BA in information systems we had a couple of lecturers come in that changed it and went into mm-hmm. more thinking about the information models right. of computing and more business analysis and we were really drawn to that so I can see that in your work yeah that, yeah. that became systems thinking systems thinking yeah, it became yeah. about the system and so I was really drawn and in. delivering information and, and, I, and I it was during that that's not and I came across a, my, probably my favourite book at the time uh, it was published in 89 so I went to uni in 89 Came out in '92 uh, by Richard uh, Saul Woman, mm, yeah. Information Anxiety. Yep. So the first time someone introduces that concept of information architecture and just solving that problem of too much information and treat it with treat the user with some more respect. Yeah. So that became something I really started to get into, um, but it didn't manifest for a long time because again we just had to make a living. Came out of uni, there was no. It was a bit of a recession around then '92, '93, and I just took a job doing PC support. And, mm. Again, I ended up at the end of that trajectory being a salesman in IT, so selling <laughs> IT systems, you know, because right. I, was, I was pretty bad at everything. And, um, and that was a real fluke. I got, I think I just quit my job. I hated it so much. I was just, I didn't like sales, um, except the one piece of sales advice I got as I was just before I left, and this guy, he said, you've got to stop thinking of yourself as a salesman. That's what's doing your head in. You're not a salesman, you're a creative problem solver. Mm. You're talking to a CEO, and the only reason you're in the room is you're trying to solve his problem. Don't think of it as selling. And that switched the real light bulb on for me. Right. And this is just as I'm leaving IT, and I still couldn't handle it. I was, I was bored, I was just couldn't yeah. handle it. And I ran into Karen Mason, you know, mutual friend. Mm. She just happened to mention over coffee, and she didn't know I'd just quit my job. She said, I know oh, this is, you know, a million to one chance you'll come and work for us, but there's an, an opening at this company I'm working at, Shift, you know, to be an account manager for Tourism New Zealand. Uh, yep, <laughs> that was my big break, and like, and you know, to get that role because that role was that creative problem-solving role as an account manager. So, how how deep were they in that rela- relationship with tourism at that point? They were um, was established already and yep, going. Yeah, they'd already yeah. built the first PureNZ.com as it was right. then. Uh, they didn't have that domain name yet, uh, and they were about to embark on the next big rebuild. And they'd um, they would go. You know, this is when CMSs were new. 
that my role in many ways was to sort of sell in this sort of CMS system, and so it, was, it was quite a, yeah. you know, a complex role, you know, big budget. But no, they were in, that was tight, and that was a good relationship. And I knew Catherine from uni; we went to uni together. Right. So there was, oh, right. see, so we're in the same comms, you know. So I, I knew Catherine, so we got on quite well. Um, and so, yeah. But the good thing there was that that studio enabled a salesperson or account manager to be creative. Mm. And I'd never really been creative before. And like right. Che was really supportive with that. And, and you know, Tara and the team, they were great. You know, and you, and it was like, it was, yeah. I was allowed to be a bit more, I was involved in conversations. Yeah, and idea generation, yeah, and which problem was, solving. Which was really yeah. that. And I think if there was a moment in my life mm. that enabled this was that, that approach. And, and, and just even conversations I'd have with Che in a car, you know, going to a meeting. I mean, they were great. I mean, you know what he's like. He's yeah. amazingly insightful. Yeah. And you just get into depth a, of knowledge. Depth of knowledge into another world, right? It was disturbing. Just, yeah. <laughs> but um, that was the big breakthrough in some ways. And so, you know, working with you was great. You know, and those conversations we had about, you know, yeah. we had palm pilots, you know, yeah. and we're just imagining what it could be. Yeah, yeah. So that was the genesis. And then, and then it was a real fluke. Um, I met Jared and you know, Jared and Tara have done amazing things in the States with computer interactives. And, um, we'd, and I, well, as soon as I saw those, I, that's, I knew that's what I yeah. wanted to do. Yeah, I, then, yeah. I want to make those. Yeah, wow. And so we decided to set up a company and right. we had a few hits and misses, but then we somehow, somehow, my first real job in this industry of creating um, public experiences yeah. was um, as our own company. And we somehow won this pitch to build Tapuya uh, as a, um, as like a, you know, as a digital company, we teamed up with a, a museum exhibition design company, right. and we got the contract to build all these beautiful projection and computer-based interactives. So my first job in the industry was as my own company, right? Which was terrifying, yeah, but amazing. Like we had, we spent two years, maybe three years building that, and it was amazing. We just, we just, we walked the talk. You know, we knew we could do it. Right. We hired, the, we started from scratch, bootleg. You know, the first paycheck bought us. You know, a desk. Right. Next one bought some chairs. You know, we got rented some space. You know, we yeah. just bootstrapped up to a company of twelve, and just started making these amazing things. So that was, um, yeah, it was good. So it all just sort of. Went. And so looking back from that perspective, there's a, I don't know, it's kind of a line, but at the oh, time, yeah, no, yeah. absolutely. I mean, because yeah. you you were referencing yeah. your work with tourism, mm. while you, I mean, you are doing tourism. Yeah, yeah, this yeah, is yeah, tourism. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, so I think that yeah, the, that lineage is is yeah. quite pervasive. Yeah. The thing about uh, Pure and Z, which became yeah. NewZealand.com, yeah. Yeah. is the as you mentioned the, the fact that there was a CMS, there was a, a content management system behind it. Yeah. So, yeah. and what they had done was, or we'd done, was built a publishing platform. Yeah. And that was very very new at the time, yeah. and that was really breaking ground. Yeah. And did you feel that? Did you were you aware of that? Yeah, and because of the, because we have a lot of those conversations about those potential constraints of that as well. Yeah, because you're talking at a time where you've got such everybody's trying to get into the space, and that's all moving image, and this, this, the web's going to go down this really rich media end, and this was very functional, right? And very, uh, you know, that grid system that was all part, you know, yeah. that, that was new. Yeah. Um, but what was new? What I thought was actually new, and helped me branch out afterwards, was that concept of um, user experience design. Yeah. That was not on the radar in the early 2000s in New Zealand or Australia, particularly Australia. Mm. And so after I left Shift and you'd go to different clients and I went to Tourism Australia, simply on the back of that concept, we're going to design this for users. 
And seriously, you think, and, and I was just, it's like they just had a come to Jesus moment. They're going, right. that's a great idea. Let's do that. Yeah. Seriously. Anyway, and so we introduced that idea of prototyping, testing, user testing yeah. early on. They'd never done a single thing like it, ever. Right. And it ended up, and again, they, yeah, Australia's a little different to the New Zealand market, especially in that, that time. Um, they found it very challenging that it was such a simple solution, right. such a simple website, that yeah. it wasn't a whiz-bang. There should be more movies and things. And going, no, no, no. That's, none of our user testing has shown that. People are trying to work out how much time yeah. they have, how far they can drive in that time, and the things they can do. Yeah. NewZealand.com really established the standard, set the world, the global standard yeah, yeah, for yeah. tourism websites. Yeah. Um, it was yeah. a revolutionary design yeah. and a revolutionary platform that, that yeah. was amazing to be, you know, spawned out of a little company in Wellington. I know, wasn't it great? And yeah. also, again, that client was so... I, like they, yeah, the client uh, was... They allowed was, us to do things. Well, remember your first project you arrived when you got the portfolio job, yeah. right? Yeah. To allow us to make that and little that documentary. A documentary, yeah. Yeah. And same with, and sending Dave Armstrong on trips around the country. It was hilarious. Like, he would just write those stories. And that was really revolutionary. And then they let us go with it. Yeah. And I thought that's what started to set them apart from everybody else. The rich media, you know, and that became in games. You guys did the hockey game. And things. Yeah. So things evolved from those more playful ideas. Mm. So I think that was, that was also groundbreaking. Yeah. Um, and that's what enabled, you know, me to see where it could go. Yeah. It doesn't have to be so earnest. You could get more playful. But always on point. Always for a reason. Mm. Like that Portery one was about the destination it was Northland, mm. but it was also about introducing Maori culture in a way that, you know, to a new visitor, yeah. so they could imagine themselves going through that. There was always a reason for these things. And, that, it, and yeah. I think it was that, yeah. that even just getting, being able to hear that, yeah. oh, there's a different language and there's yeah, a yeah. It's a different accent and different yeah. Yeah. Um, customs yeah. that, that yeah. I think a lot of people don't necessarily, aren't, you know, they're intrigued by it, they may know vaguely, very vaguely. So it just gave them enough of a teaser that yeah. they want to... Yeah. And that's still the case. Mm. And that's why even the Gizmo... It's just going ahead and leaps and bounds, Māori tourism, because people... And they love the sound. Yeah. I, we made an interactive in Fife House in Kokoda, and it's... Um, it's you know, all our, most of the interactives have a Te Reo toggle. Mm. And so no matter where you're through, you can just toggle into Te Reo. The, they, they said the amount of non-English-speaking tourists who just listen to the Māori. Right. They don't even care what that's they're saying. Incredible. They just want to hear yeah. it. Yeah. So I think it's really strong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just show you, just as an aside, when you're talking, if I jump back a bit in terms of medium, right? Yeah. The, this was probably the most challenging project, the start of an observatory rebuild. And have you seen this one? It's recently won the best museum project. Uh, the interactive Lego installation. So it's like the history of space travel through Lego. Right. Yeah, no, that's Space Tracker. And is this a permanent exhibit? Yeah, or is yeah, it totally. Traveling? Yeah, and it's like, um, so you, you, you pull hydraulic levers and like, for example, it opens the IS, ISS and there's all the astronauts and they're doing their experiments. Um, you know, Curiosity rover. 20,000 pieces of Lego shipped from around the world. It took, oh my God, it took so long to make. Like these guys. I mean, it must Lego. have been fun to... Oh my God, these, well, these guys didn't make it. They just, they, their lounges at home were just covered in Lego for months. And did you use, like, the Lego has the software, right? The yeah. model builder. Yeah, so we that. built that. Yeah, and yeah. Then, then it distributes it around right. the world. And so we're getting packages from the Ukraine with, you know, like that little bit there. Yeah. It's just, like, from all over the world. So we had, Nancy was our office administrator. She was just managing that process full-time. Right. The influx of Lego yeah. parts yeah. to be organized. Wow. And, then we, and to correspond with that, we built Space Tracker, which uh, is a way of just, again, using these big, robust devices to navigate through all the things that are going on in space at the moment, and we pull in feeds from NASA, so we've got all these update feeds every new day, every day, 
so that you can just scroll through with these big levers to get updates on what's going on at space at the moment. Wow. It's just these you know, beautifully done sort of line drawings. And yeah. So that was, um, I, like I say, I do enjoy this kind of stuff as well, where you really do push the boundaries into different media forms. This is digital, but it's this big bank of you know, physical control, direct panel, control panels, yeah, right? Yeah, it's yeah. like, yeah. yeah, so it changes it, it up. It just feels space. Yeah, space. Like, yeah. yeah. I know, it's like being a four-year-old. You yeah. Just get, <laughs> yeah. So, but I just thought I'd show you that one as an example. Like oh, that, that's that, so cool. Yeah, just different ways of using different types of medium that's not just so much the phone. Or the yeah, science. and that's, yeah. exactly, and yeah. that's great. I mean, yeah. the use of Lego is such a great yeah, yeah, yeah. way of yeah. attracting just, you know, the, the imagination, just engaging the imagination. Yeah. And are there, like, can you actually, can kids or anyone? Not, not these. These are all glassed off. Right. But they do have, like, they've got, most museums we work with have education uh, uh, program Rooms, managers, yeah. and so they, they, will, they will create things like that for right. kids. The saddest thing about that project was this was all heavily user-tested. Like, right. I did about half a dozen different concepts for this observatory mm. and Lego just went off the charts in every single area except one which was South Auckland because those kids had never heard of Lego oh shit I know you know what I mean it's like whoa that it just does that open my eyes up a lot but yeah wow and so what did it really matter in the end like I mean you, no we you just, we just decided to... To, we just decided to go ahead with it yeah. it was just actually just a quite a right. social insight into yes. New Zealand yeah. well, as much as anything yeah um, so I wonder if that yeah, carries on but. to you what makes a good place based storytelling experience it's pretty it's actually pretty simple and we, I just had a client here this morning um, doing a concept for by Pukaro. Um often you're doing those projects to change the way someone looks at a place mm. so either they live there or they're visiting for the first time the reason we're engaged is not because it's great you know, so it's actually something actually needs to be done here, whether it be a car park in Belgium, whether it be a river, an industrial port in Gisborne, you know, or in this case, you know, the, a park in the middle of Waipukuro. And a lot, and Kirikiri is a classic one, actually, it's probably the best one. Um, Kirikiri is the site of the, one of the New Zealand's first, you know, the oldest building. It's a mission house in the stone store. Beautiful little doll's house, picturesque thing with a little basin, and it's just, oh, yeah. Nothing could be further from the truth in terms of what that site was. That site was, it was a little house tucked in under a hill, and that hill was one of the most dominant pass sites in Northland. Mm. It's Hongi Hickers Park, and so the only reason they're there because he let them there, and he's they're right under his site. Right. So a lot of that project keep your enemies close. Yeah, and it's just like they're oh, going nowhere. And the point was that's actually a Maori place. Right. It's not a twee little European place. Right. And so the project was to when you first arrive, to see that. Right. And so instantly you've changed how you view place. So all the information right. we might provide then, doesn't matter, you've done the big thing. You've gone, why don't you, we're putting palisading and, and pole right. and things all around, all around. You go, oh, this is like... So I'm curious, with yeah. the World War I project, what, yeah. what was the perspective, the new perspective that... Again, you would not have a clue where you were standing. Right. And I found Passchendaele in particular really disrespectful. It's a, I mean, there's nothing. There's a, there's a. It's, it's referred to even on the map as the cheese factory because there's a little factory that makes cheese and sells cheese. On the car park, goes up to like the front line where the troops sort of set off from. So, you, our sign that we built there is in the on the car park of a cheese factory, 
It's just so wrong. And so, but before that sign was there, before the app was there, anything was there, yeah, it's like one of the most fundamental, you know, sacred spaces for New Zealanders. And it's just, I just felt it was just disrespect. And I think that came a lot from the briefing right. from the client. They are in the middle of nowhere in their paddocks. There might be a memorial or something, but there's nothing really there to explain what happened. Those bodies are still in there. There's 800 bodies in the paddock. Oh. Because they all drowned in the mud. Right. It was just so boggy and muddy yeah. and they got blown up and they've never been recovered. Right. They're still there. It's New Zealand's biggest mass grave. Wow. And it's, a, you know, it's just a cheese factory car park. I mean, so a lot of that was just, even by putting Revealing, that, putting that yeah, fern... The, the depth, really. That fern. Yeah. Okay, and you watch the light come through that at dusk and a lot of we're seeing the same thing. The light comes through those ferns and creates shadows. Right. It just creates a sculptural moment that is New Zealand, and that's what needed to happen there. So regardless of all the, the maps and the battles and the stories, this is a grave right. of you know, 800 New Zealand men right. in front of you. So treat it with respect. And it, I guess it is making the invisible visible is, yeah. is a huge part of it. Yeah. We touched a, a little bit on AR, mm. and, but I'm wondering if there are any new technologies that you think are emerging or any kind of products or systems you wish existed or no, that's that, interesting. that you think could help enhance these experiences. Interesting. I don't know, really, because, um, again, because I'm leaning more towards this custom mm. solutions, actually, it's, um, I, to be honest, I'm more, I mean, again, I think AR is going to be huge, and I, that will be somewhere we go. There's a paradox with AR, though, in that it's more information overload. Mm. You know, like, we need more. In the wrong hands. Yeah, yeah, and then this is still do with really well yeah. yeah in a time when I think actually we might be hitting a period where people are looking for more silence mm. Mm. and more breaking away and I think that's a real tension going forward for us as well interpretively in storytelling less might be more which is going to be a very interesting challenge so it's mm. not what more, more can we throw at people yeah. how can we interact with, with their devices and things it's actually is there a business to be made in creating space right. for people to not have those things yeah. I, I think that's a I get that whenever I talk to people at AR people aren't into it they just put their hands up oh no not more really yeah, more yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think that's really important to listen yeah. to yeah, yeah. Uh, so that's um, that's one take on it um, yeah. what about things like uh, AI and machine learning do, do, you, do you see a place especially that? in education I mean again one of my favourite all time books as you probably remember I don't know was The Diamond Age by Neil Stevenson mm. And the, so this engineer, nano engineer, makes this portable learning device for a princess, and then he makes another one for his four-year-old daughter. And those two girls go off on different tangents. And the story of how these two girls use these portable learning devices, which are, in effect, AI. Mm. They adapt to everything that they learn, every place they visit. They tap in their knowledge and their learning grows as they grow. I just think that was a blueprint yeah. for where things are going. For what's to come. What's to come, right? Yeah. And so I think particularly in education and you can see even with these apps there's not a big jump between this and someone you know a portable mobile classroom I mean you you could see how that that's what I mean about bringing the outside world into these things instead of closing them off there's a way forward here and I think that has to be personalised I was just going to say yeah that 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 I would think that that would be a really interesting you know you've taken the Mm. context of the place and the context of the history and the context even of the audience Mm. but then taking it down to the context of the individual yeah. 
and being able to do a tailored story to them. Yeah, that, yeah. But you can imagine, you, yeah. you know, you know how old they are, you know where they came from, you know, yeah. you know, you have a whole profile of them that then you can all of a sudden deliver a story that lands in their head much deeper. Yeah, and I think that that's an ideal future. Mm. And I think that's you know could be whatever ten twenty years away to get some back because it requires so much content, right? Like all this, yeah. you have, it's a bit like all these ideas. Creating the content is what takes the time. Yeah, it's and crafting. It's not just creating. Cra- it's that's crafting. it, right? Yeah. yeah. So I think that's. I think it will come. Yeah. Potentially, I don't know, but that's right. always been our and bottleneck. Yeah. Do you have any like dream projects that you like? Um, one day you hope. I'm already on a few of them. Right. Like, it's interesting. I, I always think we've reached the pinnacle after... We built the Waihi Gold Discovery Centre. That was an amazing project, big, big project. And Waihi then got Ngātapawai. I thought that was the most amazing thing I've ever done in my life. We've got the Gisborne Project. I thought that was the most amazing project I've ever done in my life. Mm. And now I'm working on a concept for a Waikato War Museum, which, again, is just phenomenal. And, and so, in some ways, it's... Um, um, I do have a particular story I love... Which is um, the, the sort of the Iliad and the Odyssey, mm-hmm. um, and that's uh, to do anything around there. I think would would be so a dream. in Greece, like actually, yeah, in Turkey. Well, coincidentally, Troy is just next to Gallipoli, right? So our guide for Gallipoli, our Turkish guide, took us one day around to Troy and pointed out where Achilles' grave was, and it was just like mind blowing. Like that, I love those books, right? And I love those stories. And mm. that's a journey story as well. Yeah. And it's uh, it's a it's, it's, it's amazing. The ultimate. The ultimate, journey. right? Yeah. <laughs> and so something around there. I read a lot around there, and mm. uh, I don't know. That would be, but that's probably more of a hobby story. But um, so I, I don't know, look, I just love love stories. I, and just lo- logistically, I guess I'm curious what makes a good experience. Logistically. Yeah. Like. It, you know, is it a common... So, so you do have oh, I, this I, pattern, I, yeah, a combination yeah. of technologies. Yeah, we, and we, and we have developed that system. Like, so in terms yeah. of, like, I think, yeah. And that's, for me, it's, um, it's pre-trip awareness. Right. So you, you're always going with a bit of content. And, you know, if you've ever travelled somewhere, you know, you're driven to read more about it afterwards. You just wish you'd read a bit more before right. you go. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, just yeah, yeah. delivering yeah. a little bit of that. So you've yeah. got, you're bringing something to the table. Uh, again, allowing for multiple entry points. Yeah. So you're not prescribed, yeah. because everybody's travel is different. Yeah. Uh, the multiple media, easy to digest, place-centric. Everything we do is view-shaft-based. So you're never standing somewhere arbitrary. Right. You're standing, even in Gisborne, we, we, we cut holes through our signs, so it forces you to look at a certain thing, yeah. right? And you go, this yeah. is why you're standing yeah. here. We're not just standing here because we decided to put a thing here. Yeah. Look at what you're looking at. Yeah. And we're gonna, now we're going to tell you a story about what you're looking yeah. at. Uh, and I think that's the key, right? It's just like, and, and then just constantly, and so constantly evolve, allowing for people's changing attention spans, changing technologies, what's the best way in a contemporary right. environment to deliver a, a, a meaningful story. And I think and that's it sounds what like it's, it's yeah. about capturing attention and then directing that attention yeah. is yeah. a lot of what you... I think it's because once you, yeah. like I said earlier, once you know where you're standing, yeah. you go to another level. Yeah. It's too easily you can stand somewhere and not know where you're standing. Right. And that's the crime in many yeah. ways, right? To stand at that cut, not really understand yeah. what's in front of you. And I guess yeah. it is transforming what is an ordinary space into something yeah. you know, emotionally impactful and extraordinary. Yeah. Um, and then the igniting the imagination is really... And, and the other side of it is a whole line of um, place-based education where... Um, it, it, this is a word, de-abstracts history. I mean... You can learn enough about New Zealand history 
or history in general, standing in places in New Zealand, mm. rather than necessarily reading about Tudor England or you know or the Cold right. War. There's you can do all the big themes in history, all the big tensions, right. they all play out in your local backyard. Yeah. And yeah. so it's just bringing that up a little as well. Right. We don't really need to go any further. New Zealand's history is so fascinating. You don't need to go anywhere else. Well, you do, but you know. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you, initially, you can explore but, your background. But, but it's been under recognised yeah, here. Yeah, yeah, totally. the, the richness of, and depth of the history here. Yeah, and I think and there is, and without you know going off on a political tangent, I think there's an inherent, uh, an inherent racism in that as well. Right. Yeah. Not acknowledging just how fascinating and complex yeah. and deep Maori history is here. Yeah. The interaction stories are great. The early colonial eras are fantastic. Mm. But my personal preference is the early, early stories. Mm. are just phenomenal and the mythology is a yeah. you know is is something a richness that yeah. New Zealand really has and that's still alive and that yeah. European culture when the fact you can see it you can see misses, it, it on a marae yeah. it, it's 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 kept alive through carving through song yeah. through weaving it's it's yeah. there yeah, it's, it's embodied every day yeah and, and, and Gisborne like it's we were interviewing kids there in, in, in fluent Tareo and would ask them for an English version, they go, oh, no, I'm very good at English. <laughs> it's like they couldn't, they couldn't say what they wanted to say right. in English. Yeah, yeah. So that, it's a bicultural, a bilingual app. Right. To talk, so, and, and the Maori stories aren't necessarily the same as the English stories. Right. They're just, they'll tell, might tell a Maori story in a different way. Right. Which is cool. Yeah, it is very cool. Yeah, so yeah. you get, yes. Yeah, so Again, context and the audience sensitive. Yeah, it's, yeah. So it's, um, I think that's, yeah, I, that's why I love New Zealand history. And the depth of Maori culture in particular is inexhaustible mm. here. There's so much to tell here, uh, and from their perspective, it's, just, yeah. it's good to be this excited to that. Like every time we encounter a new project, it's mm. better. I think that's why we're good at our stuff because we are focused, right? And we do the best stuff you can do. We have a lot of experience. I can guarantee. You know, I can give you a good product and make the best place-based story in the world, right? So yeah, yeah. cool. Yeah, awesome. Thank okay. you very much. No that was fantastic. All right, that was my friend Chris Hay of Look Halls. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. Chris does extremely interesting work, and it's definitely not your typical design story. Like I said, I'm really jealous of the work he gets to do. They get to work in so many different media and so many amazing fun places, and it's really beautiful work with a lot of depth and meaning. I've known Chris a long time, and I always love talking with him and hearing about what he's up to. You can view his work in person all over New Zealand at museums in Auckland and Wellington, as well as beautiful heritage sites all over the country. Online, you can visit locales.co.nz. That's locales, L-O-C-A-L-E-S to see a complete portfolio with examples of all their projects. And I really highly recommend you do that. There's some stunning work there. That's our show for today. I'm really impressed and thrilled that you've hung in there to the end. I'd love to get any and all feedback about the show, about our guests, any questions, comments, suggestions. Just email me, philip at alchemypodcasts.com. That's philip with one L, P-H-I-L-I-P, at alchemypodcasts.com. Thanks for listening, and I'd like to thank Massey University for supporting the show. As I've said, I've always been extremely impressed with the caliber of students coming out of Massey Design School. We hired them as fast as we could at zero, straight out of school. So if you're hiring designers, I strongly suggest you snap up those grads before somebody else does. And if you're a student, make it easy for people to hire you. Make sure you have a strong portfolio of your work and get in touch with some of the guests on this show and other people and companies where you want to work. Go after the jobs you want. It's easier than you think.
Finally, please remember to visit alchemypodcast.com to see photos from this story and check out our other episodes and see what's coming next. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Alchemy Podcasts. That's all for now. Cheers. Cheers.